This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It has been a while since we've been able to do a podcast, and that's mostly been on my end with uh, internet connection problems. And for those techies out there that might understand this, 7 to 8% packet loss on my internet connection, which for voice is not good. So, But uh, ran a test. I got 0% packet loss tonight, so we're able to do one. And just a lot of catching up to do. Sam Heward uh, not being able to go to the Elite 11. Just a lot of activity here the past couple weeks and more to come. But, uh, Scott, how big of a loss is that uh, for Washington perception-wise not to have Sam Heward at the Elite 11? Well, I I mean, it it definitely would have been a – nice high profile thing for their top uh, recruit, at least top commit right now on in this class. So it, I don't think it would have hurt them at all. I think it would have been nice to, to see, to have people see him out there throwing the ball around and doing everything. Um, he would have been the first Washington quarterback as in uh, commit to the university of Washington to, um, win the Elite 11 ha- had he been able to do that. So uh, Jake Heaps did win it back when he was running it, but of course he ended up at BYU. So, um, you know, I I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of these things they're throwing against, uh, you know, defensive backs who can't play real physical with their with the wide receivers. They're doing different things, but it's a, you know, it's just another competition thing for, for some of these top guys to go out and do. And, and uh, I I thought it would have been really fun to watch Sam over the last, over the next, uh, what it was 29th through the first of July, something like that, whatever it was. And, um, you know, for those four days, I think it would have been a lot of fun or three or four days that it would have been a lot of fun to watch him, but we're not going to be able to, so not the end of the world. Yeah. And I thought it would be good, uh, huge publicity for Washington, huge publicity for the program, um, with Sam being on the program. And, uh, I talked to him quite a bit today. Most of it was off the record, but, uh, he just said, Sam's a really kind of quiet, unassuming kid. And then all of a sudden he gets this intensity about him and he goes, yeah, that would have been for what that would have been a win for Washington. I mean, it was kind of like he was going to go there and he was going to win it and it would be great PR for the program. So uh, I think Sam was pretty fired up to go, but uh, I think he's pretty devastated to, uh, not to be able to go. But the conversation I had with Damon, Damon's not happy about being in a two week quarantine again. So. Um, but Chris, you've been around the elite 11 stuff. How big of a deal is it with Sam not able to go being one of the top two quarterbacks in the country in terms of exposure? I think it's big for exposure just in general to have a Washington quarterback there. Now you have to understand Washington's actually, this would have been the sixth straight year that they would have had a kid going to the elite 11. So, you know, I mean, they've kind of made a regular habit of this starting. Now you go back with a guy like Eason 
but then you go Sermon, you go Dylan Morris, you go Ethan Garbers last year. Now you go Sam Heward. The thing about what's interesting is, is that I think it really like like for Ethan Garbers, for instance, his team made it all the way to the finals last year. I think that was the thing that really kind of was the springboard for him individually to start going up the charts and start really ramping up his rating and, uh, you know, helping the overall, you know, class in terms of uh, where they ended up being ranked. So that was a big help for them individual and it helped the team. I, I don't know if it really made a big blip nationally in terms of all of a sudden all these teams going, whoa, Ethan Garbers can play. With Sam Heward, everyone knows he can play. That, that's not the issue. I just think a lot of guys want to see how uh, a kid like Sam can compete at the highest level and potentially end up being the the winner of the whole thing. So, yeah, it's it's obviously very, very disappointing, and it's obviously most disappointing for Sam. I mean, he said it himself in his statement. You know, this is something you grow up wanting to be a part of if you're a kid in his position. So, obviously, have to feel just really gutted for him. Just a couple of things. Like I said, quite a bit I talked to Sam off the record, but uh, one thing I did bring up, you know, there seems to be these internet rumors that Sam isn't as committed to Washington as many people think, and he's looking around, and it's the second time I've brought it up to him, and he just goes, where's this stuff coming from? I, I mean, he's just befuddled by it, and he says, is this just people trying to negative recruit against Washington? He goes, it's, not, he goes, it's just like, it's ridiculous. And just the tone of his voice when I bring this stuff up, I said, Sam, I just keep on hearing it. And he goes, from where? And he goes, is this what I – mean, keep in mind, he's still a high school kid. He's not used to this stuff. And it's just kind of like, where does this stuff come from? You know, so there's people, it was there's people who have agendas um, yeah. in the Washington Twitterverse and and, uh, you know, people who think they know what's going on with recruiting and they have little agendas because they don't like some of the coaches and they spread rumors. That's what happens. It's just not true. Anybody who thinks Sam Heward is not absolutely 100 percent. Uh, I'm not going to go over 100 percent because there's nothing possible more than 100 percent. He's 100% committed to Washington. He's not going anywhere else. I brought up some other schools, and I just mentioned some other schools, and the reaction that I got from him was just, it was funny. I mean, just imagine a 17-year-old kid, and you set, like, um, a fruitcake in front of him and tell him that's his dinner. That's pretty much the response from Sam I got when I would mention some of the other schools. So it was uh, it was kind of funny. He's a great kid and, and fun to talk to. And um, it's kind of like I've always said, Sam's not talented. He's gifted. There's a difference. He's a special kid. So um, fortunately, he's under two-week quarantine. And uh, if he's going to throw balls around the backyard, Damon's going to have to catch him, which I know Damon's not real fond of because, I mean, Scott or Chris, have you caught a – have you caught a ball from any of these guys? I mean, I, I remember Hugh Millen threw one ball to me. I caught it. I go, I'm done. I'm gonna, you're going to kill me. Have you caught a ball from a quarterback lately, Scott? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I, not from Sam, but um, last time I played, like any type of intense catch was with uh, Brett Rippon. When he was getting warmed up for a camp, he showed up late, so I stood on the side and let him throw some balls to me. And um, Yeah, I mean, but I – you know, Kim, I played wide receiver in, in college for granted one year and I didn't really play. I was a backup, but, um, you know, I that was just par for the course that you're just kind of used to the way those guys throw the ball. Yeah, I thought when Millen threw the ball, he's going to throw one. It's going to go through my hands. It's going to go and hit me in the face and um, I'll be dead. 
you know, so uh, I'm trying to imagine Damon out there catching balls from Sam in the backyard. But a lot going on uh, lately, Scott, with, uh, you know, let's just go over the last three commits. Uh, Dyson McCutcheon. I remember his dad when I was a kid, uh, Lawrence McCutcheon, playing for the Rams as a running back out of Colorado State. was one of my favorite running backs. Uh, really good player. And then um, Lawrence's son um, was, who's his son? Dyson's dad is Dalen. Dalen McCutcheon. Yeah. Uh, and he was a heavy Washington recruit, but spurred Washington to go to USC. And now Dyson McCutcheon, he's a defensive back, and uh, he's committed. How good of a get is that, Scott? I think it's a really good get. You, he can play inside. He can play outside. He's probably going to be a slot corner for you, though. He's probably going to play that nickel spot, and um, he'll be really good there. He can play some outside as well. I think eventually, if he were to be good enough to play in the NFL, he He's a guy who'd probably play some nickel corner there as well. He's he doesn't shy away from contact. Likes to play over over the uh, slot, be physical with guys, and and do different things. So uh, really nice pickup for Washington. Has a lot of good football instincts. Comes from a good football family. Great get for the University of Washington. How would you compare him at the same stage of his high school as Elijah Molden? Well, I mean, Elijah Molden was a uh, was an elite corner coming out of high school. Uh, what was that? What was he at West Lynn? Is that where he was at? I, I can't remember off the top of my so. yeah. head, but yeah, I mean, and um, Elijah's just a little bit bigger. And um, actually, when I when I remember seeing him at the at the opening down in um, down in uh, Portland when we were when we were going down there, Beaverton, wherever it was, but um, and. I remember thinking he was a safety. He was eventually going to be a safety. He just was real thick. And I thought that was where he was eventually headed. He ended up playing nickel corner. And I think he's going to be a really good one this senior year. And he was a really good one last year. So um, as far as development, I, I think Elijah's probably a little bit further ahead, but um, uh, Dyson's been playing against maybe a little bit better competition than, than what uh, uh, Elijah Molden did. So maybe it's, you know, six one half dozen the other. They might be it might be a push between the two of us. Hey Chris, when you're talking about a guy like a Dyson McCutcheon um, coming in and playing slot, does that maybe a little bit of a slight? You know that maybe he can't play outside corner. How do you view that when you pigeonhole a guy into being a nickel? I, I well, I mean when they you know talk about him and and maybe being the next you know Miles Bryant in the same breath and. You know, Miles Bryant had a pretty nice career at Washington and really carved a niche out for himself. So, I I mean, if I'm Dyson McCutcheon and, and they're telling me I can be the next Miles Bryant, for instance, I'm, I'm eating that up with a spoon and and saying, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Can I have some more? So, you know, because when you look at what Miles Bryant did to that secondary, he did pretty much a little bit of everything. He could play he could play out in the in the flats, but he could play deep if he needed to. He could he could come up and blitz. He could come in and, and be in run support. He can go, you know, go downhill into the box. There are so many things you ask that guy to do. And so he's in the middle of all of it. And so if I'm Dyson McCutcheon and I look and I'm watching film of Miles Bryant and they're telling me I can be that guy, I, I got no problems with that whatsoever. Um, one of the most, I think he's the most recent commit, but uh, he's been, we've known about uh, Will Latu for a long time. His brother, Peter, we've known about for a long time. Uh, Will Latu, bit of uh, up and down with his recruitment over the past six, seven months. But uh, tell me a little bit about how you feel about the commitment of Will Latu, uh, Scott, and where do you think he fits in? 
Well, I think he's going to be a middle linebacker, um, at least to start. Uh, I guess a lot of it's going to depend on how much you know size he's able to put on and everything like that. He's never really rushed the quarterback from a outside standpoint, so it's really hard to tell if he'd be able to play on the edge or anything like that. Pete Kwiatkowski is a guy who really liked him, but did he did he like him because he was a good fit at middle linebacker or outside linebacker? It's really tough to say. Um, with Will Latu, the, the whole thing with him is where's his head? Because he's got the talent, he's got the tenacity, he's got the football instincts to play, um, and be a very effective player at the, at the collegiate level, at the power five level. But the, the biggest concern with him to start was his grades. He's done really well in the classroom. He's gotten his himself where he needs to be um, academically. And so the next question really has been, where is his head? Is his head into playing football? Is it into goofing around? Is it in not taking things seriously? Is it is it in not, not taking his diet seriously or weightlifting seriously? Because he really ballooned up between his sophomore and junior year. I mean, he... He, my guess is he was probably playing somewhere between 250 and 260 last season. He has slimmed down. He's probably about 235, 240 right now, um, and that's a pretty good weight for him. Um, he could re, uh, you know, redistribute the, that weight um, once he gets to college. Still play at about 240, but be be distributed a little bit differently and be a really effective player. I like him a lot. I think he's a nice kid. I never have had a problem with him personality-wise, but the big problem with him has always been where is his head? Right now, his head is really into the game, and it sounds like he's kind of had the switch come on, but it's really going to depend on where his head is because Washington, at least at this point, looks like they've foregone uh, recruiting Wyndon Ho'ohuli at middle linebacker, and if they aren't going to take him at middle linebacker, then Will Latu is the guy. And if you're not going to take Winnen Ho'ohuli, who is a more safe pick, which is who's a, probably um, a better long-range player, at least looking at it right now, then Will Latu has really got to be the guy for you. And if he isn't, then you made a big mistake. Hey, Scott, I'll come back to you on the Winnen Ho'ohuli thing. But uh, Chris, when I know a lot of people out there that are very, very vocal about the uh, – linebacker play last year and it was and I don't think anybody would agree that it was up to standard but you take a look at a kid like Will Latu who may be able to do a few more things than most because he talked about them having packages in for him at the running back situation but the other thing is when you take a look at the depth that Washington has as inside linebackers and guys that can play inside that haven't really seen the field, they're loaded in that position. There's a lot of guys that Washington fans haven't even seen. They're going to be very, very good football players on this team. They are. And there's actually a couple of guys that have played a bunch that, you know, should make the jump uh, from last year to this year in terms of hopefully MJ Tafisi is hundred percent healthy again. And Bob Gregory said that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and then obviously you've got Jackson Sermon as well who I think could also end up being at around, around 235, 240 uh, this fall as well. And you add those guys uh, it with to uh, Edifuan Lafoscio, who really came on like gangbusters so much that he earned a scholarship in the offseason. Now you're starting to see that, okay, those are your three, you know, quote-unquote veteran presence in terms of the, the, in the inside. But you're right, it, you know, to go back to your question about the younger guys, I mean, you've got four legitimate inside guys whether it's at the mic or the will 
who can really do some damage. And now it's just a matter of who is going to step out of that group because you've got Alfonso Tupatala who played a couple of games last year. Um, and then the rest of them didn't play at all. Whether you look at Daniel Hamuli, who came in with the most fanfare, the defensive MVP of the, of, of the year before with the Polynesian bowl. And then you've got Mickey Ayu who was rehabbing a knee injury. And then you look at Josh Calvert who had the knee injury during uh, spring, spring ball. So you've got guys that are, that are coming back from injury guys. That Josh, look Calvert. Like Josh Calvert. That's why I just said Josh Calvert oh, that, yeah. and Mickey Ayu. So you've got those two guys. And then again, Daniel Hamuli, such an X factor. He looked like of, of those guys, Kim, he looked like the guy that was probably most ready to go in terms of, uh, you know, if they needed to play a true freshman and then it looked like it was going to be Calvert by the way he showed up for spring and was really stepping up until he got hurt. So that's why they really had to rely a lot more on guys like Kyler Manu and obviously Brandon Wellington. You want to rely on your seniors, but they just unfortunately just didn't work out as well as uh, obviously everyone would have hoped, but you're right. I mean, they've got so much depth at that inside linebacker position right now. It's simply a matter of one of them taking those turns and taking the advantage because the opportunity is going to be there. There is absolutely no question about that. And Scott, when you take a look at what Washington's base defense is, it's nickel, which means they've only got two linebackers uh, on the field on their base defense. And probably their, you know, first sub package is going to be the dime where they're, you know, pulling another linebacker where they only have one on the field at a time. They don't need a lot of linebackers. They don't. It's not the old days where they. I mean, how often do you ever see them with three linebackers on the field? Do they ever run that package, Scott? Well, I mean, okay. So there's four linebackers, but one of them's a true stand-up defensive end, and then that's Joe right. Tryon. And then you've got a guy either Ryan Bowman or, um, you know, you did have a Defuan Ulufosio who was playing outside at different times in that scheme and and you you've got like a a guy who can play more in space than than just rush the quarterback out there so um you know yeah i agree with you kim yes for the most part you've only got two two linebackers really running at a time but it would be nice to have that versatility to have that outside guy but again you know the numbers are so tight and when you talk about there could there's going to be nine guys as long as there's no attrition, and we don't know if there will be or won't be, but assuming no attrition, you're looking at nine guys that are returning for the following season. You just and that and that are going to be juniors or less. They're still going to have another year. So I just, you know, the people who say you got to take winning no matter what, I, I just don't think. I think it's easy for them to say that. And when they don't have to manage, when they're not responsible for managing the numbers, because right now that there's such a huge logjam of, of, you know, youth and, and talent, but it's untested. A lot of it's untested at this point. So I, I don't think you can just say you should take winning no matter what. And where are you going to not take someone else? Well, and, that's the and, question. If you yeah. take him, where are you? Are you going to take one less running back? Are you going to take one less tight end? Are you going to take one less defensive lineman? Show me a position where you're not going to take. Well, and a lot of people are complaining that they take they they've taken Caden Jumper, uh, who is a tight end slash H back, and 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 they're they're like, well, we should have taken Winden over him. Well, why? I mean, you need someone at that H back spot going forward in this offense. And honestly, even if John Donovan and Jimmy don't work out and they're gone in a few years, 
whoever brings in another offense, H-backs are coming back in. Fullbacks are coming back in. So you're going to have to – you're probably going to use it in most uh, offensive now and that are coming up nowadays. So you, you really do need an H-back, and Caden Jumper's a really good player. So I – you know, it, I get the argument. They don't want an H-back. Okay, well, the coaches do, and they're the ones who have to run it. So they think they need an H-back more than they need another linebacker. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, see, and Scott, just, and I keep on saying this, I can't stress it enough. I mean, if you take the number eight player, eighth player in the country at his position and the 15th player in the country at that position, how much difference is there between them? Um, I mean, it just depends. You Not know, a lot. I- there, I mean, for sometimes they they can do different things and and everything. Yeah. I don't I don't think if Will Latu's head isn't in it, you take Winnenhola Ohuli and you don't take Will Latu. But Will Latu's a four star. He's a local player. He's got a lot of local ties. I I think the coaches were kind of in a I don't want to say a no win situation, but I I think it was tough for them because it's like you know you're damned if you take him and you're damned if you don't take him. So. You know, at this point, they're just going to roll with it. They like him. They like they liked him enough to take him because they didn't take Julian Simon. They were ready. To, they, they they were more than happy to let him him go uh, to USC, even though I think Julian Simon may st- still be in play if if uh, things fall the way a lot of people think they will. Down at USC, I think uh, Julian Simon will be back in play uh, in a few year, in a few months, but uh, we'll have to see on that. So, you know, it it's just. I get why people get frustrated, but you have to understand these coaches understand what they need and what they want, and they're going to go out and get it. And they got the guys that they wanted, at least at this point. And Chris, I always say, you know, when you take a kid like a Will Latu, and I don't think it's a surprise. I I don't think it's an. He really struggled in school. I, I mean, his freshman year. I mean, it appeared that he had absolutely no chance. And a lot of people just don't get the school doesn't come easy to some. And the kids who overcome the academic issues, you know, to get into the University of Washington. Like I said, going to the gym and working out is a lot easier for those guys than going to school. And I think the shining example of that was um, Vita Vea. You know, in one of our contacts that we talked to when Vita committed, and you know who I'm talking about, Chris, he said he's an NFL guy. And if he'd had grades... Everybody in the country would have been after him, but he had no grades, but he overcame that. And Vita Vea really did a good job in overcoming that. And you've seen it a bunch of times before, Chris, but guys who have grade issues and really put their nose to the grindstone, those are the guys that I respect a lot. Well, yeah, well, you can go all the way back to Anthony Kelly back in the yeah. day, in the you know, turn of the millennium with the, with that, with that Rose Bowl team, for instance. And, you know, we even look at a guy like Azim Victor, you know, he, Washington, unfortunately has to be really smart about who they can target because they really do need to have guys that find that gear where it just clicks, where not only can they get it done on the field, but then they have to translate that and get that done in the classroom as well. Because it's not like Washington won't take 
a minimum qualifier. I mean, we've seen it happen so many times. It's crazy. I mean, look at basketball with Isaiah Thomas. I mean, they'll it'll happen. I mean, they will take a guy. But the the player in question has to really prove it to the coaches and the staff that they've turned the corner and yeah, that the staff understand it's just a short – like they have to understand that what happened in ninth grade isn't going to get replicated in 12th grade, for instance. Like, yeah, they fell behind, but they did what they had to do to get themselves back on track. And that many in many instances, sometimes that will prove to be the difference between how they offer one guy and not offer another guy because they've been so impressed with how they've been able to turn things around. And that gives them a little bit more insight into not just what they've done, but what they can do going forward. I think that's huge. Scott Maurice Himes, just a real interesting guy. Uh, never played it down at varsity football. Don't know if he's going to be able to play football this year or not with uh, what's going on down in California. But, boy, he's just a piece of clay with all the tools that you might drop on the drawing board, but just hasn't played a lot of football. Tell people about Maurice Himes. Yeah, it came over last year right about this time. And actually, it might have been even a little bit later. It might have been closer to, like, late August. And, uh, he was he transferred in too late to play. Um, he, so he, he originally grew up in, I think, Hamburg, Germany, and uh, came over here, wanted the opportunity to play some football. And his parents found some sort of exchange program or something that he could come over and play it at a private school in um, the L.A. area. And that's what he decided to do. He's living with a fa- host family down there. And uh, he showed up. And it was too late to play varsity, so he played JV all year. Uh, first time he'd ever really played football, so this is only, I think, well, he might have played, like, in some some unorganized leagues over there in, in Germany. But he, he this is really, last year was really his first real year of American football where it was actually coached by people who knew what the heck they were doing. And, uh, um, you know, he's 6'4", 235 pounds, 240 pounds. Um, and can play the edge at Washington wants him as a buck and he's really excited about Washington when they offered him he was really really excited he told me he almost committed because Washington's a school that he grew up respecting and I said grew up respecting you were living in Germany and he says I know but he, he says I, I had some people that that knew the Washington program in my life and um, they they just always talked about how Washington was such a great school and Seattle's such a great city problem is he's never been here and um, it's, you know, Washington likes to get these guys up on campus, but COVID has changed a lot of things and they're having to readjust and, and uh, do things a little bit differently. And, and he's a guy they like a lot. I mean, you could tell that when they when they got the chance to take him and offer him and they saw him, they made the offer real quick. And, and uh, th- things have gone really well between he and the, uh, the coaching staff. And, and that's why they decided uh, to bring him in. He can do everything. He just has never done it before. <laughs> he's just got, he's got a great, great athleticism. And um, he's a guy who, who the coaches see, Hey, he might not be able to play for us for a year or two, but once he gets on the field, this guy could be real destructive. Boomer bust guy. High yeah, pretty much. I, I would say high, high chance that he's, um, you know, he, he's got, he's got high upside, but, you know, he could be just a guy who just never has it click. So we'll just have to see. 
Yeah, when it's a guy like that, just turn him loose. Just uh, remember what Travis Feeney told us, Chris. He said, you know, his freshman year, they just didn't. He didn't know the defense of all at all. They said they just put him on the field and said, go rush the passer. You know, so I mean, he might be that guy. You know, just you know, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. They just told me to go get the quarterback. So we'll see how, we'll see how that works out. Uh, Scott, uh, numbers, where are we at? Well, right now they have ten guys uh, that we know of that have committed. Um, I think over the next, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but over the next week there could be uh, some other guys adding their names. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but they're at ten right now, and originally I had projected that I thought they would get between, they would take between twenty and twenty-two. Right now, I think twenty is the high high side of that. I I just they only have 12 seniors in this class. And if you count three other guys who may leave early um, for the NFL, that still leaves you five guys who have to transfer out. And with COVID the way it is with all, you know, things all across the country, a lot of these kids aren't going to want to leave. I, I just don't know how they're going to have the spots. So um, right now they're, we're looking at only 10 more guys in the class. And from my class projections from uh, the the blogs that I did last week, I had 11 on offense, nine on defense. And uh, boy, it is, it's really tight numbers wise. So Scott, I mean, 10 commitments, they're going to get JT Tumal out. They're going to get a Mecca Ibuka, and they're going to get Troy Franklin. So that means only what four slots left. Uh, well, no, that would be seven spots, right? <laughs> okay. Because those are three guys. There we so, go. So yeah, I mean, you can push buttons all you want, Kim. I I'm not going to fall for that. But um, you know, whoever Washington gets, that just takes away from more numbers. So how many you know, in, how many commits in the next seven days, Scott? Come on, how many in the, commits in the next seven I, I days? Would, I would say in the next seven to ten days, you could see upwards of three to four commits. All right. That makes yeah. the class even tighter. Yeah, especially uh, one commit I know of that could be happening here very soon will start a domino effect, and you could see uh, that position group uh, fill up pretty quick. So That was Scott Eklund who said that. So message board posters ask Scott about that. And, Chris, we're hearing rumors of possibly no official visits at any schools at all this year. Just uh, what goes through your head when you even think about that? Well, let me address that in a second. But what I would say in terms of the numbers and Scott's assertion that maybe 20 is in the high sign, um, I'm almost thinking this could end. there could end up being more attrition because, as you said, Scott, you may think people will want to stay because of COVID. I'm wondering if there's going to be a situation where more guys are going to want to get closer to home in some instances, which could add to the numbers in terms of attrition. So I think, again, like you said in the very beginning, it, it could go either way. It's very fluid, and it's there's so many unknowns to it. But I think it could tip that way just as easily. So we'll see what happens on that. But as far as official visits, Kim, my first my, – seriously, my initial reaction was this is going to be a hell of a lot of visits in December, you know, when they, when they uh, decided that they weren't going to allow – visits through the end of August, for instance. So I was thinking, okay, they're going to back things up all the way to right at the end of the season, what have you. They're going to try to cram in like 15 to 20 visits on each of those first December weekends to try to get in under the gun before the mid-signing day uh, in December. But now I'm wondering if it's going to even push guys all the way back to February, depending on what they can do. 
But the flip side of that is, is that if, if there is this idea that there's just going to be no official visits, like in-person official visits on campus, and the only thing that people are going to be able to do, prospects, players, what have you, family members, is to do this virtual visit, then you may see things open up and, and guys commit all over the place before their senior seasons start. Everybody might get it done. Because if, if, if there's no reason to wait to, to, to take a visit on the hopes that things open up, if that's just not going to happen, then why, what's, what's stopping anybody from just going ahead and making the decision already? Because that, that would have been the only thing keeping players, in my opinion, from making those decisions. Because they might have two or three schools that they really felt equal about and it was going to be that in-person, on-campus official visit that was going to be the difference maker. And if you can't do that, and all you can do is virtual visits now, I, I think this thing could go very quickly. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I just think that uh, I don't know. I don't even know what to think. I just think that there's so many different things. It's just like a day-to-day thing. It, it, things can just turn on a dime. So um, I still think Washington's in good shape on a lot of guys, and uh, I still think they're going to wind up uh, top three in the conference when it comes to final recruiting rankings. In those top three, not a lot of difference between. Uh, those top three are you kind of feeling the same thing Scott um you know yeah I I think geez someone right outside my window sorry guys um yeah I I would uh I would think yeah something like that (laughs) okay what what Uh, was the question Kim I'm sorry Uh, you got distracted by the motorcycle yeah whatever it was I still think that Washington is going to wind up when all said and done top three in the conference and I think the top three in the conference is going to be tightly bunched when it comes to recruiting rankings um yeah Oregon I think I think Washington will finish third and I think they I think they'll be I think they'll be just fine Oregon and USC are going to be way ahead of them yes you think Oregon's going to be that far ahead from a numbers stamp from a stars standpoint yes from a ranking standpoint yes over under on number of decommits from Oregon uh might not be any if they can't take visits Kim Mm. if they can't take visits Oregon's plan might have worked out We'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah, because a lot of these kids have to- have said they're ready to lock in spots. Anything and, else? Anything else I've missed, Scott? Um, no, not not off the top of my head. So I'm, I'm sorry I got distracted by that motorcycle. So well, I but, got distracted uh, by the squirrel. So we're even. Yeah. So, um, but no, no. I mean, I think fans are going to be pretty excited over the next. Uh, week or so um about some things that are going to be happening here and uh washington's really picked it up with some virtual visits with some of these guys talked to Veltre jefferson who i posted a story on on friday 
and he loved his virtual visit, said it was really cool because they actually had a drone flying over um, the student section, and they did a lot of stuff showing him how into things the game atmosphere, you know, the the fans were and everything like that, and he said that was pretty exciting. He wishes he could get up here for a game, but he, he was one of the – I talked to six 2021 guys, and they all said that schools they've talked to, including Washington – have all told them they are not expecting official visits to happen. And that's why we're coming. That's why we're talking about not no official visits happening. Chris, anything I forgot? Anything I left out? No, it's just, just, I think when, you know, when Scott talks about how there could be more things happening in the next week or two, it, it really does impress upon you how quickly things can turn. Because I remember when Washington's national rank in terms of their recruiting team rankings were in the fifties and low sixties or whatever, you know, now they're at 37, um, and that's with the three guys that just committed. When you when you talk about Dyson McCutcheon, Maurice Himes, Will Latu, and you also Quentin Moore, Rivals got his uh, his rating up, which actually I think he's rated as a four star uh, on Rivals. So good on Rivals. You know that 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 helps uh, Quentin Moore's composite rating for sure. But now they're at 37, and if if Scott if if his premonition turns turns out to be true. You know, we could be talking about here in, in two weeks, you could be talking about Washington maybe being in the 20s in terms of that's how quickly things can change, too, because, you know, I know a lot of people were frustrated about it. But if you look at the average rating per player for Washington, it's not that far off for what they what they're normally accustomed to these last three or four classes. And it's right in line. And they still have a lot of big fish out there. When you talk about the guys that we've talked about forever, JT Tuomalau. Ameka Egbuka and some of these other kids too that they're that they're really high on Owen Prentice for instance. So there's there's definitely guys out there that um, will boost that even higher. And I think when it's all said and done, I think like you said, Kim, top three finish in the Pac-12, especially when you look at USC and Oregon right now being two of the top six in the entire country. That's you know the, that's going to be really really good competition to go up against, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. And then. We're not even talking about all the stuff that's going on with 2022 and how not being able to take any sort of unofficial visits, how that's going to impact things. And you look at the in-state class for that, for, for 2022, and you look at all the guys, the offensive linemen, for instance, and how they're getting offered by Tennessee and Alabama. And, you know, the, the last couple of years, or, or you know, not just this year, but next year and the year after that, it could be a real bumper crop, especially if COVID really does impact people to the point where a lot of those guys just say, you know, screw it. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to try to stay safe. I want to be with my family. I want to be close. That could end up having an un- unbelievable impact for the University of Washington. Yeah, just um, a lot of stuff I go, I do in the background. I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people off the record for background stuff and had a chance earlier this week to you know, have a conversation with Jen Cohen, and uh, I'm I'm not sure people understand the amount of uh, pressure she's under and the stuff that is all on her plate. Every contingency plan for this football season has been worked on. You know, fans in the stands, no fans in the stand. You know, social distancing, all of that kind of stuff. And as you saw today, the articles out there in the release where you know the football coaches and all the coaches across the board agreed to five percent pay cuts. And you may just say, you know, uh, you know, with Jimmy Lake and um, Mike Hopkins, but that goes down to the soccer coach, the crew coach. It goes down to all of the coaches. 
doing that. And then the uh, Jimmy Lake, Mike Hopkins agreeing to uh, waive incentives in their contract. And then Jen Cohen giving a gift of $50,000. And Mike Hopkins and Jimmy Lake even giving a gift of $100,000 for the social diversity programs. Jen's got a lot on her plate. If you stop and think about all of it that's going on, just not, you know, uh, professional life, but, you know, she's got two teenage boys as well. The whole Sam Adams situation that I don't want to get into, it's just kind of um, a tough one to deal with. So we'll play that one by ear, but just the amount of stress and the amount of pressure on Jen Cohen. And then on top of it, her second in command, Carter Henderson, um, resigned. He, it was just, it's just so much going on. So that much more put on her plate that she's having to deal with. Um, luckily, before Carter resigned, she brought in a guy from Purdue, uh, Jason. Um, how do you pronounce his last name? Do you know, Chris? How did, how do you pronounce his name? Yeah, Jason. What's his uh, last it's name? Bud- it's like Budukoffer. Budukoffer. I think that's correct. So yeah. she's got a little help, you know, with Jason. But uh, Jason's fairly new on the job, and you know, it's just trying to drink water through a fire hose to figure things out. But um, the entire athletic department, um, you know, taking a cut, taking a haircut, all the employees between two weeks and uh, uh, two and four weeks uh, furlough. So it's not easy up at University of Washington. And then on top of that, you're dealing with the budget um, issues where numbers are coming in, where I've heard they could run at a $35 million deficit. So Lots going on in the athletic department. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep it all. We'll keep you guys all up to speed. Dogman, just make sure and, you know, keep track on the message boards. Scott, anything final to add? Sorry, my thing was on mute. Um, no, uh, not a lot. You know, just uh, pay attention here over the next uh, week to 10 days. I think you're going to be pretty happy. I'll keep doing the blogs and keep letting you guys know what's going on. Other than that, uh, just enjoy your weekend. What's in your glass tonight, Scott? Uh, it was water. I've, uh, been out, uh, doing a lot of, uh, yard work. So <laughs> I, I had to rehydrate. It was hot today. All right. Fetters, uh, Chris, anything to add, uh, final thoughts? No, just, uh, you know, obviously the haircut had to happen. It's happening all across the country at athletic departments everywhere. Um, you know, again, just to recap, you know, 5% reduction for all head coaches, uh, 3% reduction for all assistant coaches. Like you said, they've, they've, um, they're not going to get any of their incentives. Um, so they're, they're hoping that that's, a uh, you know, when you add on to the, to the 15% total reduction in the overall operating budget, which is I think they're saying it's about eight and a half million dollars, uh, on top of the five million in total savings, when it comes to to the staffing reductions, you know that that's not small change. And what what's the saying? You know, a million here, a million there. It adds up to uh, starts to add up to real money. So, um, you know, hopefully this will help. But clearly, the the plan in place is to try to keep all the sports. I mean, what would be the easiest thing in the world to do? Just cut soccer, or cut volleyball, or cut crew, or cut whatever. That's not what Washington's about. Washington is trying to, you know, be good at everything. And so, you know, that's that's been Jen's mandate from the very beginning. And I know she's going to fight like hell to make sure that that happens. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how things go forward Um, again with no official visits and things like that. You know, what is that? You know what these pieces to the puzzle? What does that mean in terms of how many people are going to be on campus for fall quarter, for instance? You know, just regular students. 
Um, what does this mean in terms of how they're going to try to open up Husky Stadium for football games? Will they even have a non-conference schedule because of travel uh, concerns? I mean, again, so many questions. And yeah, Jen's got you know more than enough on her plate to figure things out. And uh, I know Jason Budakoffer, if I remember correctly, he was really brought to come in to help everything else so that she could concentrate really on football and basketball. Yeah. But yeah. now it's it's you know it's one of those things where it's all hands to the pump. So uh, he's getting a crash course on what Washington athletics is all about, and and hopefully you know in a few months they can all sit back and have a beer and a laugh and you know say man that was crazy. But uh, all right now it's uh, it's a crazy time, and I and I do hope they they get figured things figured out, and I really do hope that all these uh, you know these cost reductions and all these. Uh, reductions in the operating budget or whatever really start to bear fruit because you can't go through a second year like this. They may be able to do it once, you know, talking to AJ Maestas, for instance, when I, we were talking about the media rights deals and stuff, you know, Washington has a kind of a rainy day fund, Kim, that they can, you know, if they need to do it, that's what it's there for. And they may have to dip into to that to really help, uh, you know, kind of supplement what they need, but you cannot do this twice. You just can't. Well, with the rainy day fund, you've got to have a certain amount in that rainy rainy day fund to meet the obligations of the bond sale for the stadium. So they can dip into it a little bit, but they can't deplete it. But one of the things I was going to ask you, and it's one of the things that Jen just cracks up every time I bring it up. You were around Chris Peterson as much as anybody. And when people say Jen taking over as Pac-12 commissioner, Pete, you know, Chris Peterson becoming the athletic director. I mean, can you imagine Chris Peterson as being the athletic director under these circumstances? <laughs> You know what? If there if there was a way where Chris Peterson could be like cheerleader is not the right word, but if he could if he could handle everything else and just let let a bean counter or someone else handle the uh, an accountant handle the actual budgetary things that an athletic director has to worry about, like if if you could split it up in an ideal world and you could have someone handle the numbers and then he gets to handle the people. You know, whether that's hiring, whether that's coaching the people below him to, like, do what they need to do. I could see Chris Peterson being an unbelievable athletic director. But unfortunately, the modern day athletic director, you got to do that all. You got to do all of it. And um, I think he'd be brilliant in terms of hiring people and stuff, because I just think he has an innate innate sense of what to look for and, and, and how to bring the best out of people. That's that's a strength of his, a clear strength of his. But, you know, dealing with budgets and, you know, having to deal with, you know, paying off the bonds for Husky Stadium and boosters, donor stuff. Exactly. <laughs> the donor stuff. He would kill himself. Oh, just he, so- he would kill himself. But again, if it was just dealing with the people and the culture, that's that's his bread and butter. That's what he wants to do more than anything. One of my favorite Chris Peterson moments was the press conference before the uh, Alabama game. When somebody asked Chris Peterson his thoughts about having a football czar for the NCAA, remember that, Chris? Maybe I can't remember the details though. Yeah, and he nominated Nick Saban, and the look on Nick Saban's face. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, um, anyways, uh, what's in your glass tonight, Chris? Water. By the way, we're doing this on a Friday night at like it's almost ten o'clock. It is after it's after ten o'clock. What's in your glass tonight? Yeah, water. All right. That's what I had tonight. I had a yeah. big old heaping. Yeti cup full of water. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we appreciate all you guys. Thanks for tuning in. 
I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund, Go Dogs. a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.